ChatGPT might have more sway over us than we think. A new study in scientific reports found that a chatbot's response can influence our moral judgments, including on a question about the sacrificing of one life to save five. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ben Leonard. The Department of Veterans Affairs revealed new details in a response to a Politico inquiry about problems with its new electronic health record system, acknowledging that the system played a role in, quote, catastrophic harm caused to six veterans, four of whom died. While the record system didn't, quote, directly cause the death, the system's configuration, workflow changes, training, and staff all contributed to the, quote, catastrophic harm to the VA patients, an agency spokesperson told me. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services issued regulations on Wednesday that prohibit confusing or misleading advertising of Medicare Advantage plans. The rules would establish limitations on prior authorizations, add clinical psychologists to the list of MA-evaluated specialties, and expand the low-income subsidy for certain medications under Medicare Part D. And COVID has negatively impacted the mental health of kids. Daniel Payne joins me to explain what this means as we enter a new phase of the pandemic. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. So we knew the last few years obviously have had a negative impact on kids' mental health. What are we learning about this now? What does this all mean sort of for the future of kids' mental health? Sure. So there was a sense, I think, among a lot of doctors and just a lot of folks in the United States that kids' mental health was going to get better once these lockdowns stopped, once kids went back to school, once things kind of got back to normal. And now we're really at this next stage where the public health emergency is going to end here pretty soon, and kids' mental health is not getting better. The number of diagnoses is not going down. If anything, it's going up in a lot of places. So there's a sense that the pandemic's impact is not going away on mental health, and maybe we haven't even seen the full extent of it yet. So you mentioned that kids' mental health issues have been on the rise for a significant amount of time. Do researchers have a sense of why that is? I think a lot of kids' mental health doctors and providers are worried about what's next. They're worried that the full impact of the pandemic on kids' mental health has not been seen yet, that maybe the worst is even yet to come. One doctor was telling me that it's really normal for kids that experience trauma or experience a really difficult time in their life, which the pandemic was for some kids, for that to not show up in symptoms for several years. So it's very possible that, you know, the impact of of these past few years isn't even being seen in these numbers yet. And of course, this is a trend that's been going on for a long time before the pandemic, that kids' mental health diagnoses have been on the rise for a decade and maybe even longer than that. There's a concern that the pandemic's exacerbation of this could go on even longer and could have an even greater impact than we're seeing right now. You know, some people point to social media and phone use. Some people point to more screenings for depression and anxiety in kids. Some people point to some kids and teens being more open to a mental health diagnosis, that there isn't as much of a stigma that comes with it these days. And of course, there's a lot of pointing to the pandemic, its impacts, uh, sort of this collective trauma that some doctors point to across the population. But it's really sort of difficult to unwind all those things. It's hard to say for sure why this is happening. And that's a big question for researchers, a big question for doctors to figure out why is this happening? And maybe even a more urgent question, what can we do about it right now? Yeah, on that front, what is Congress saying that we should be doing about it now? 
I think there's a sense in Congress that something needs to be done, but exactly what that something is, is much more amorphous. There are a lot of solutions that are being thrown out there. One of the biggest ones that we're hearing not just in kids' mental health providers, but across the provider space is that we have workforce problems. We have a shortage of people who can treat these kids. So that's something that's being looked at right now. Maybe we need more residency slots or more funding to have an appropriate workforce for these increasing numbers. But there are a bunch of other policy proposals, and some of them have passed, whether in the omnibus at the end of last year or the Bipartisan Safer Community. Communities Act. This has been an issue for a long time, but as diagnoses continue to rise, the issue becomes more pertinent to voters and therefore more pertinent to the people who represent them. Taking a step back a little bit, you know, what lessons do you think we've learned from the pandemic in terms of kids' mental health and also mental health for adults, too? So advocates right now are seeing this as a, a really important time to point out all that's led up to now, the increase that's been going on for a long time, how the pandemic has at least seems to have made that worse, and how we're in this moment now of a workforce shortage, according to a lot of them. So their sense is just that Congress needs to do something. It needs to act on this. And one of the big things that's being pushed right now is the Children's Graduate Medical Education Program funding essentially residency slots for doctors who treat kids. But as you know, there's a lot of talk as well, whether from the administration or in Congress about what to do about social media, if the government should be taking a bigger role in sort of the world that kids are experiencing online. I think the lesson learned here for kids' mental health in particular is just how little we know about mental health causation on a population level. There's so many reasons that experts point to for this rise in cases. And of course, the pandemic is thought to be a big reason, but it's sort of hard to untangle. It's hard to understand what exactly caused what. And it's going to be a big question, I imagine, over the next decade of where these cases are coming from, what they could be tied to or associated with, and what to do about them. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Ben. And Catherine Ellen Foley went to the World Vaccine Congress this week, a collection of immunology researchers and industry representatives, where she posed one question to attendees. What's the most important development in immunology or vaccine delivery in the next five years? Uh, so I think it's going to be the ability to do trials in the real world. I'm most excited to see where the mRNA platform is going in all kinds of directions. Temperature-sensitive storage or transportation and supply chain would definitely be the most important part. We have to progress from geographical distribution to global distribution, which is going to require the infrastructure to do that. Well, I think from, that, from a, a vaccine perspective, I think there's a lot now emphasis on the mRNA side. I think really, yeah, mRNA is going to be transformational on this because we've seen through COVID that it's something that you can engineer really to address a number of things. So not only as vaccines, but also as a treatment for many diseases, so curious to see what, what will come out of it. Yeah, so basically I think that we have to get beyond, you know, the, the novel technologies of the MRA and all the applications that it has possible. It's not the only solution. The most popular answer I got, perhaps unsurprisingly, was that mRNA vaccines in some capacity had the most promise. Researchers still have a lot of faith in the mRNA platform for all kinds of illnesses, including things like cancer, but they're also hoping that scientists will be able to alleviate some of the strong immune reactions these injections can cause. 
And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Any reason, Afra Abdullah are our producers. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ahmed is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Ben Leonard. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.